Welcome to the podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. If you're looking for the latest Skull and Blazon t-shirt to make you look like the next Billy Badass down the street, this is not the line for you. But if you're someone who's actually into MMA and you're looking for a clean, smart design that shows off what you do on the mat and as a fan... Human Weapon is where it's at. It's a company that supports some of my very favorite fighters, and I love the way that my Peaceful Warrior shirt fits. I wear it to the gym all the time. So check them out at humanweapon.com. Add in promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, at the checkout and snag 15% off your entire first order. Human Weapon brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA, and it starts right now. Dave and Dan with FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA, and we have the pleasure of talking to Tatiana Suarez, who fights Vivian Pereira at Ultimate Fight Night in Norfolk, Virginia on November 11th. Uh, Tatiana, you know, you've kind of had a long time away from the fight game, various injuries for you, opponents, uh, fights that got been pulled out of. Uh, has it been hard for you to kind of take this time off? Um, uh, I wouldn't say it's very hard, I think. You know, there's pros and cons to everything. Um, for me, I feel like, and it's also your mindset, you know. Um, so for me, um, it, it, I mean, I obviously wanted to continue to fight. Um, I wanted to stay busy, especially after my win, because I was on a, a good win shrink there. Um, and I feel like you get better every every fight. Well, you should at least. <laughs> but um, but I felt like I was on a good roll, and then. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I had an injury. I had to get surgery. And um, I think that it was, it was also a good thing for me because it, it made me step back and reevaluate how I train and to be smart with my training partners and stuff like that and be more verbal with people that so, – because sometimes you get matched with people that are bigger and sometimes you just get to be like, okay, you're really, really big. Even if I'm checking your kick, it's still going to, you know – because you're so big, it's messing my, my leg up or whatever, you know, so my shin. So sometimes you have to be more verbal. Before, I was just like, I would let it happen, and and then that's that's probably why I got, <laughs> I got hurt. So, um, But, yeah, just being more verbal, being smarter about the, my training, like my training partners and stuff like that. Because in wrestling, like, you get mashed up, and no one's like, oh, you know, you <laughs> you're you're going too hard no one's ever said that but in in in, you know in fighting it's a little different because you're actually striking somebody so you have to be more verbal and stuff like that is that both yeah i think it's been good is that both Mm -hmm. men is that both men and women training partners that you might get matched up with someone bigger um i only i barely train with women if i do um it's like i put myself in like bad positions i just don't have like many women training partners so most of the time I train only with men um and so uh so yeah so this and sometimes the size difference is extreme you know because I walk around at like 130 and right. I'll, sometimes I spar with people that are like 200 pounds you know so it's like <laughs> right <laughs> it makes sense and I think that makes sense why like you know you look at uh team alpha male all those guys they're all in that same weight range and I think they remain relatively injury free like you don't see those guys pulling out of a lot of fights and I think there might be yeah. something to that that they're training with people that you know are within a 20 30 pound swing nothing crazy yeah exactly yeah so so I've been really smart about that and then also um 
I felt like it gave me a lot of time to like focus on little things, all like prehab and stuff like that, things that could keep me injury injury free because um, that's very important for a long, long career. You know what I mean? So, um, so I feel like I definitely got stronger from that. So it's not like I've just been like sitting on the couch, like eating potato chips, like, Oh, I can't wait for my next fight. Like (laughs) I've been like, I've been really, I've been working for a while and I asked for a fight a while back, but it was just like very difficult for them to find a matchup for me. Um, why, but why is that? How, How is that possible? Why is it difficult to find a matchup for you? Um, I really don't know last time, like, cause I asked, um, probably, I mean, I'm trying to think of when the retreat was, um, I think that was maybe like in the for, spring, right? April or May was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I asked a little bit after that and, um, they just got back to me. Um, he just said like, <laughs> I have no idea, but I guess a lot of, uh, some people didn't want to, I know I had another matchup that didn't go through then accept the fight. So just like, I guess some people didn't want to fight. I don't know if it's like, they didn't feel I don't know if they're like coming off injury. didn't want to fight me or if like, you know what I mean? They were out of, out of commission for a while and they didn't want to fight, but I was just like, okay, well, you know, I'll come. Somebody will come, you know? And I felt like when they gave me Viviani, I was like, oh, she's not going to turn that down. So, um, so I was definitely excited that I finally got a matchup. So it was good. Absolutely. I mean, listen, it's been over a year now since we last saw you, and it was such a great performance uh, against Amanda Cooper. You got the win with a Darce choke, which I have to think off the top of my head. I can't think of any other Darce chokes in the female divisions, either strawweight or bantamweight, off the top of my head. I mean, there have been very few in no, the history of UFC. No, I was the UFC. first, I guess. Yeah, had to have been, had to have been. And that's just, yeah. that's that's awesome. Is that a choke you hit regularly in practice? Um. I just flowed to it. Uh, I don't know. I, I did it. I think I did it to her during practice on the show. And I was like, oh, that's something she's not really aware of. So I just did it again. I don't know. Like, I, I have, an, like, an array of, of submissions. Like, I love, I love jiu-jitsu. I'm constantly looking up YouTube videos. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. So I'm always, like, studying it and learning, like, submissions and stuff like that. So it's not like I'm shy on the ground. You know, I love to roll. I'd... I'd if I originally when I started to to train, I just started doing like I would just wanted to do jujitsu. I wanted to be I wanted to become a world champion in jujitsu. So um, it's something that I I do both no gi and gi, which is I feel like not a lot of fighters do. And if they do, that's good. Um, I think it's good to do both. You know, experiment. And um, when you're wearing a gi, you're slower, right. so you have to be a lot more technical and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, now you've mm-hmm. been you've been gone for a year, so I'm sure you've caught up and watched as your strawweight division has unfolded over the past year. JJ still the ever dominant champion. Uh, you saw Carolina Kowalkowicz, you know, put up a good showing. Um, she beat Jessica Andrade. What do you make of the top of the division? Has anyone really impressed you? Do you feel like you have an easy path to the top? What do you make of the strawweight division right now? Um, I think it's tough. I think it's definitely growing. I keep seeing more and more people coming out. Um, and I think it's good for the division because, you know, I feel like I just felt like, um, like it took a while for the 135 division to grow into what it is now. And I feel like the 115 to pound division, it's cool. It's been, it's grown quickly just because like the sport is, 
is now is not as new, is not as fresh, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're seeing like a lot more people at that weight class. And I think we're going to see even more now because we have the flyweight. Is that what it's flyweight? Is? Yeah, 125, yeah. <laughs> um, flyweight. And I'm excited for that. I've been watching every episode. Um, I was I was thinking like, oh, man, I should have tried out for this show too. I don't know if you could do that. But, um, <laughs> but I was like, oh, man, I probably should have done that. Well, actually, we, to... we're pretty sure you could have done that too because they have Lauren Murphy on the show. Lauren Murphy is, uh, I mean, she's a 135-er that's cutting down to 125 now. Uh, but she was in the UFC and, uh, as far as I know, is still currently signed to the UFC. So it, it could have been a path you took. Well, I didn't know because, like, I think um, – like I don't know if like if you win one Ultimate Fighter, if you can win another one. So I wasn't sure. Yeah, we well we've definitely never seen that. Um, would you would you <laughs> would you feel like one twenty five is too big for you though? I know you're competing down at one fifteen, and it, it seems to be that in between weight. But it, would it be an easier weight cut and maybe a better place for you? Um, I don't know. I think I would have to add some size to be honest with you. I think I would have to get a lot bigger. Um, I've been, you know, I've been, um, weightlifting and stuff and I just like, I, I, I don't eat enough, so I don't get bigger, but I just really feel like I could put size on, but I don't know if it's something that I would really want to do. I'm not, I'm not that big. I'm like 130. So if I were to cut, it'd be five pounds and I could do that super easily. That would be, that would be great. But, um, I mean, I, I told my coaches, I was like, if, because of this weight thing, I was like, um, if there's not a lot of matchups for me, kind of like how it was for that last last fight, it was hard to get a matchup. I was like, I'll go 125 too, you know, just to get more more fighting time, more more fights under my belt, mm-hmm. um, and also like a challenge. You know what I mean? I think that'd be great too to do both. So I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from it for sure. So you're fighting- I would just be a, I would just probably be a smaller smaller one because a lot of the girls probably cut from a higher weight than than what i am definitely definitely yeah that makes total sense uh so fighting vivian Pereira next we've talked about it a little bit but she's undefeated 13 and 0 what are your thoughts on that fight what do you see in her where you feel like you have an advantage and uh you know how do you see the fight uh playing out um i think she's a good fighter i think uh she's like primarily boxing i think she does some some kicking. Uh, I don't think she kicks that much, um, but I think it's a good fight for me. I think, uh, you know, uh, I think I have I have uh, strong things everywhere. I don't really like to like be like, oh, this is my game plan. And I'm like, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> don't don't give it away. <laughs> but um, I definitely feel like I have strengths everywhere, um, and I think you know, it'll be a good matchup. Um, I'm, I'm a lot taller. So uh, that's going to be that's be good. I'll have the reach advantage as well. Um, not that she can't get in. Obviously, she can. She's um, she's fought tall people. She fought Valeria Letourneau, um, and she she squeaked a a split there. So um, yeah, I think it's a good opponent. Um, and uh, I don't know if I'm the underdog or not. I hope so. <laughs> so someone can make money off of me when I win. <laughs> I like it. Uh, now, what would be the ideal next step? Let's say without looking past her or anything, but let's say you pick yeah. up that victory. Are you fighting again by the end of the year, or probably not by the end of the year, but maybe early twenty eighteen? I would assume you want to get back in there. Oh yeah, I mean, I want to. That's how I wanted it to be after the show. Um, I asked, like, literally after the show, I'm like, I'm ready. I barely did anything out there. You know, I didn't even, <laughs> it was like maybe 
I don't even know how long, three minutes maybe? Yeah. And I was in and out of there, you know? So I was like, oh, get me in again. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll try. But I think everybody was trying to get a fight all at once. Usually people, like, when it's, like, getting towards the end of the year, everybody's trying to get a fight. I don't know why, uh, but everybody is. And then, so it was really hard for me to get a matchup. And then finally, I got a matchup, and it was, like, in December. And I'm like, what the heck? I've been training hard this whole time for this camp, and it's in December. Kind of like this fight, too. I was training pretty hard for it because I was expecting a fight sooner than November. And so, um, so yeah, I was training really, really hard. And then they gave me the matchup in November, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll just continue to train hard. Yeah. So. Well, hey, listen, uh, we can't thank you enough for the time. We wish you luck in the fight, and we also wish you luck booking a fight quicker than a year later, uh, <laughs> as, as has happened this last time. So we hope the UFC gets on that and rebooks you soon, because we're super excited about uh, your path in the UFC. The first win was ultra impressive, and uh, we just can't wait to see you fight again. Thank you. I really appreciate everything. And that interview with Ultimate Fighter winner Tatiana Suarez was, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog is an award-winning small-batch brewery bringing you tasty beers with no preservatives or pasteurization. I love their Green Magic IPA. It's a juicy IPA with lots of citrus, but if you're more of a lager guy or gal, check out their Steel-Toed Lager. Both are now available in tall boy cans and their mixed 12-pack. Dave, what do you think of Suarez? Uh, I mean, it's going to be great to see her back in the octagon. I think it's absolutely nuts, though, that she has not fought in over a year, and it sounds like she was trying to get fights, pulled off a darts choke, so I'm a huge fan. I just can't wait to see her fight again, and I'm glad we got to catch up with her. Yeah, I can't agree with you more, too, because, like, she was undefeated in, in just absolutely steamrolling people, uh, and then we go that long time without seeing a prospect like that in a division that needs prospects. Yeah, so crazy, so crazy. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the cards that have happened in the past because one of the things we're noticing with pay-per-views and with a mega pay-per-view right around the corner in UFC 217, one of the things we've noticed about some of the pay-per-views in the past are the absolutely abysmal ratings. So, Dave, why don't you kick it off about how terrible these ratings have been? Yeah, I mean, when you go through it and you look at when the UFC really broke out on pay-per-view in 2000 with your Chucks and your Randys and your Titos, and that was really the breakout year on pay-per-view. might have been 2005. I'm doing this off the top of my head. But, you know, that was a year or so or two into the Zufa era, and it was on the backs of those three stars that the UFC became a viable pay-per-view commodity. And it's really been pretty good ever since. I mean, uh, I believe it was 2014 was a down year, all things uh, considered, just because of a lot of injuries. And then they came back in a big way last year. You had Connor uh, pulling two buy rates, excuse me, three buy rates over a million. The two Nate Diaz fights, the fights against Eddie Alvarez, and then Ronda Rousey's return on December 30th against Amanda Nunes doing a million. So they had four pay-per-views last year doing over a million. This year, the best pay-per-view was John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Feels a little tainted at this point with uh, Jones popping for the steroid. That did 800,000. And then in the beginning of the year, UFC 208, 209, you know, you were somewhere between 200 and 300, which I think the UFC would live with. But now, recently, we're looking at, uh, what was it, uh, um, Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero did about 100. Okay, and that was on Fight Week. 
That is an abysmal rating. And then they come back with Nunes versus Shevchenko. That did about 130. And this most recent pay-per-view, as reported by Dave Meltzer, uh, Ferguson versus Kevin Lee, uh, did about 100. So their past two pay-per-views combined 230,000 buys. I mean, that would be abysmal for a single pay-per-view. Yeah, so i I, uh, I got to ask a question, though. So, yes, you definitely have got to be in the UFC office looking at those numbers and being like, damn, that fucking blows. But at the same time, is there any way we can reason this out here, too? Because let's look at those two events, and let's before we just, like, jam the panic button as hard as we possibly can, this past UFC event is coming off of right in the middle of that really weird time with the Vegas tragedy, which, you know, it was an absolutely terrible event. All of a sudden, this event's in Vegas. The attendance is low and all of that kind of stuff. And on top of that, too, we have this weird feeling about Fabrizio Verdum in this, like, very super exciting fight. And suddenly he was pulled out right before you had to hit buy on the pay-per-view. You know, he was pulled out, and then he was back in, and then he was fighting fucking Walt Harris. And nothing against Walt Harris, but it was exactly what we want. Not that that fight was, like, selling it, but do you think that people in the UFC office are trying to, like, at least reason it out that way? Or are they hitting panic? No, they're hitting panic. I mean, because Fabrizio Verdum versus uh, Derek Lewis, at best, was going to bring in an additional 20,000, 30,000 buys. I, I mean... I don't even know. I have no metrics for that. I'm going off the top of my head, but that's just not a needle mover Mm -hmm. to coin a phrase from Dana White. You know, that third from the top fight, the third fight into the pay-per-view, that's not going to make or break your pay-per-views. Pay-per-views are rising and falling based off your main event and your co-main event. And sometimes when you stack a card, it obviously helps. But no, this is panic time. I mean, the problem is, let's look at 2014, which was the last bad year on mm-hmm. pay-per-view, all things considered, and that would be probably, it's going to end up being three times the amount that this year is going to get on pay-per-view buys. 2014, you still had, um, they knew what they had by that point in Connor. He uh, was actually third from the top uh, at that pay-per-view in September, which I think was headlined by Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus Chris Carriasso. And the pay-per-view did a little better than your normal Mighty Mouse pay-per-view. Mighty Mouse used to pulling in about 150. I want to say that pay-per-view did somewhere in the 250 range. Uh, and that was Connor versus Dustin Ortiz, if I'm not mistaken. So they knew they had an emerging star in Connor. They knew they had a star in Ronda. She started off the year in February winning that uh, women's bandomweight title with a pay-per-view draw of about 500,000, half a million. Chris Weidman had just beat Anderson Silva. That drew a million people. They had the rematch uh, in late 2013 that drew just under a million people. They had stars that they could bank on for 500,000 buys at that point. That's what's missing right now. John Jones is that star. He's going to be suspended. Connor is more than that star. He's bankable for a million, a million and a half at this point, but we just don't think he's going to fight again this year. So that's what's scary to me. That's why the panic button should be pressed. Now, I want to give you, Gumby, let's play, uh, let's have a little uh, pitch here. Let's pretend you're Dana White. I walk into his office. I have some ideas for how to fix the pay-per-view market. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the, the 
the the basement number now, the hundred thousand, is so putrid and so bad. I think they could get a little experimental with pay per views, mm-hmm. and I think they can actually start catering back to that hardcore MMA fan base because I think back in the day, you know, in the late two thousands, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. They had their hardcore fans where they just knew they were going to get a minimum of 300,000, 400,000 buys yep. for a pay-per-view no matter who they ran. And then, you know, if it was a really great card, it could score like 600,000. Well, they're not even engaging the hardcore fan base again. So I say, Steve, that hardcore fan base, they own the pride name, logo, every uh, property right that's associated with pride. Do a pride reunion show. You know, Fabricio Verdum was in Pride. Break Dan Henderson out for one last fight if you have to. Whatever you got to do. But I would, the next time they're in Japan, I would not even run it under the UFC. I'd call it a Pride reunion show or co-promoted UFC Pride reunion show. Another thing I would do that everyone loved in Pride, and I think Bellator's done a little bit, is a Grand Prix. I, You know, that middleweight division is so intriguing to me. They have six or seven guys at the top. All of them could be champions. All of them probably better than the actual champion, Michael Bisping. All of them Run a Grand Prix. <laughs> exactly. Run a Grand Prix early uh, 2018 in February where the top four guys take Romero, Rockhold, Weidman, and Whitaker, have them do a mini tournament mm. that then would play out at the end of the year or that fall. Yeah. Do a middleweight Grand Prix. So, Those so, are my two ideas to fix the pay-per-view market, is cater to the hardcore fan base, give the hardcore fan base what they want, because if you pop a 200,000 buy rate, it's better than what you just did in the back-to-back pay-per-views of September and August of 100,000. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And, and I'm actually going to – so I'm going to respond to two of them, and I'm going to propose something else too. So your first Let's idea your first idea of the, the Pride one – I dig it, but at the same time, I don't believe the UFC will ever go that way. Mostly because I think that they see this like feeling of pride, uh, pun intended here, this feeling of pride that they were able to buy out all of these other companies and that they were able to stick all of these other companies on their ass. And going back and then like using that promotion's title almost feels like you're letting the other promotion win. And I think they're just so proud that you'd never see them do that. You're never going to see them attach Pride or Strike Force or any of the other companies, WEC. Because I'll tell you what, WEC would sell a fucking pay-per-view right now, too. People loved WEC. That shit was exciting all the time. But I just don't see them going the road where they would, like, use that for anything more than their fight pass. Which I know they're going to use it with their fight pass, but I just don't see them going down that road. And then uh, Yeah, I, I, I think that's totally fair. Here's what I'd say as a counter to that, though. WWE, which basically sets when it comes to this type of business, mm-hmm. and it's a model that the Fertitas and Dana White have admitted they follow the WWE model. They were the same way, too prideful. They would buy up rival promotions. They wouldn't use their stars in the right way because they always wanted WWE, WWF at the time to be the superior brand. And then something happened in 2005. They own the library to ECW for your non-wrestling fans listening. Yep. That's Dream Championship Wrestling. Sort of like the pride, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Just wrestling. really good comparison. Very similar feel, right? Yeah. And they released a DVD of their uh, best ECW matches. The thing, sold, the thing sold so well 
that they eventually ran a something they called one night only pay per view. It was an ECW revival show mm. run under the WWE brand as a separate entity, as its own thing. So you know what? Cancel what I said about co promoting because I agree with you. You're a thousand percent right. They're never going to say you got to look like you, know, you win. UFC pride, right? But they would have it in them. I think to pop a big buy rate if they did a Pride reunion show, you know, you could do it under, didn't Dana White just start his own uh, boxing Dana White Contender promotion? Series. Yeah, Dana White Contender yeah, Series. Yeah. He could do Dana White's MMA promotion, some generic name, and just run that. Um, anyway, just an idea. It's something I think, I think the overall yeah. point is feed the hardcore fan base because when you re-engage them, you know, that's how you get business going, and then you can put it over the top by drawing in mainstream casual fans. Yeah, and, and I think it, that might so, – so now that we're, we're fleshing this idea out a little bit too, I think that might work better too if you used all of those different ones too. You know, like I mentioned Strikeforce and I mentioned WEC. If you got rid of some of the, like, really shitty pay-per-views, you kept these stacked ones like UFC and, and New York City, the one coming up. 217 is stacked as hell. If you kept ones like that, stacked as hell one, and then just took some of these like smaller ones and gimmicked them up a little bit, I could see that working. And I, I love your idea for a tournament, too. If they did that instead of um, interim title fights, people would probably dig it way more because I, I think that that's a good replacement for interim title fights. Well, agreed. And I think also we're going to see something change here with the pay-per-view model. They run 12 to 13 a year. Their TV rights are up for bid right now. Fox, the exclusive negotiation uh, period ended. So they're out on the open market. There's a lot of rumors that Amazon, Netflix, and Apple might be in this space now for live sporting events. Hmm. And I think some of the rumors you've heard is that they would actually kill off four of their pay-per-views put those as special fight nights on their new TV partner or streaming partner in this case of Amazon or Netflix or someone like that got in the mix. And I think the eight pay-per-views remaining would take on that old school special feel where you kind of had to build your appetite up and wait two months or so for the next pay-per-view to come around. Well, I I think there's definitely something to that claim too, because here we are with, with the year boiling down and they seem to be caring more about loading up their last UFC on Fox show to sort of show off what they've got here rather than loading up their pay-per-view. Because UFC 219 has got almost nothing on it yet that I really care about. Um, off the top of my head, I, ca- I literally can't think of a fight that I care about. But if you look at UFC on Fox 26, which happens in fucking Winnipeg of all places... The card is fucking stacked. Robbie Lawler fights RDA for the number one contender. Or, uh, contender. Fucking Jose Aldo fights Ricardo Lamas. Mike Perry's fighting Ponzinibbio. And Glover Teixeira is fighting Misha Serkinov. All on one night, all free. So it seems like, you're right, they, they're probably trying to make their you know regular, every time, sort of live TV events way better than their pay-per-view. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, and definitely these pay-per-view numbers are something to keep an eye on. Hey, let's move to the fights this weekend, because actually, while the card itself ain't that great, the main event is a banger. We had Darren Till on the show, uh, and I know you wanted to break this down, Gumby. So let's talk about the main event for this Saturday. It's an FS1 card. Am I wrong in saying that, or is it a Fight Pass card? I'm pretty sure it's 100% Fight Pass, too. And before we get to that breakdown of Fight Night Gdansk, we'd like to let you know that this fight breakdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu makes the world's best mouthguard 
While other guards feel clunky and make it hard to breathe, Sisu gives you the freedom to do your absolute best. You can talk, you can drink, you can breathe, all with the mouth guard up in your mouth. Plus, it does an amazing job of protecting those chompers. So head on to SISUguard.com and grab the mouth guard that's right for you. All right, so Darren Till is a plus-130 dog in this main event. He's taking on Donald Taroni, a minus-150 favorite. Actually, a little surprised the odds are that close. Uh, Till, I believe, 4-0 in the UFC. We had him on the show. He's a great interview. I would love to see him score the big win. Obviously, I'm a big Cowboy Cerrone fan. Who isn't really? Uh, but I figure he'd be a bigger favorite. Who do you have winning this fight going to be? I, I think he's probably not a bigger favorite only because he's coming off that, that loss where he didn't necessarily look all that good against uh, Robbie Lawler. I mean, he didn't look bad. But he certainly didn't look good either. And and I think Darren Till has got so much hype behind him. Everybody's doing interviews with Darren Till now. I mean, like, we were we were on the forefront of that where he, he – I mean, if you didn't hear our interview with him, go back and listen. He's super exciting, and I think he's actually getting around to the point where he's selling himself so well that these odds are creeping closer and closer and closer together. But that being said, I, I, I just don't – I'm not ready to buy Darren Till against a guy at Cowboy Cerrone's skill level – this is such a step up. When you think about who the last guy he beat is versus Cowboy Cerrone, I mean, he's going from unranked to number four or five or something like that. And I think a justified four and five with Cowboy Cerrone, too. To me, I just don't see still being able to hang with Cerrone's leg kicks, which tend to be devastating. Cerrone's clinch work. I think his, his strikes from distance, Till might be able to hang with him if he can get inside those leg kicks. He's quick, but I just don't see him quick as, as Donald Cerrone, and I don't see him as diverse as Donald Cerrone. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm not going to go against anything you just said because I think you hit the nail on the head. I just think it's such a big step up in competition. Um, you can't, in good conscience, uh, go with Till in this until you've really seen him against top-flight competition beat someone of a Cal Cerrone's nature. Yeah, and I, and I think if you're a betting person, too, that's the other thing. His odds are so freaking low for considering the big step up he's making. You know, if he was like a plus 200 or plus 300 underdog here, I'd say, you know, go nuts. Bet some money on Darren Till. But, like, he's bar- you're barely getting your return on your money. Um, now, the card itself in Gdansk, they didn't really load up. Obviously a great main event, but let's just focus on the other two fights that I know you were very excited about, which is Devin Clark, a minus-155 dog, to Jan Blankowicz, a plus-135 favorite. So, yeah, I, I've always liked Jan Blankovic too, because I, I think he's really, really exciting and sort of underrated. I mean, he had that really, really good fight with Alexander Gustafson, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to go with Devin Clark on this one because I think in his last fight, he looked really good against Jake Collier. And on top of that, I know he's a Jackson Wink guy. I know he's one of John Jones, although that's kind of a taboo name to talk about right now. I know he's one of John Jones's best training partners. And, and I just think that uh, between the heavy hands that he carries, you know, he's, he's the type of guy who can knock people out. He's He mixes it up with his grappling. He keeps it different every single time he fights. And he seems to be progressing at a pace that just might make this the fight where he's going to pass Blankovic. Uh, and then Brian Kelleher, a minus one twenty favorite, to Damian Stasiak, plus one hundred. 
Yeah, and I, I liked this fight, and I wanted to talk about this fight a little bit because I just think Brian Kelleher uh, kind of not being talked about as far as, like, rankings go right now, which is crazy because the dude submitted Iuri Alcantara in his very first UFC fight, and he took that on short notice in Brazil. Uh, and then his second fight, he kind of had, like, the steam let out by getting submitted by Marlon Vera, who's on a two-fight win streak now, including a knockout win over Brad Pickett, who, who's no slouch to knock out. So to me, I'm more excited for this fight so I can see Brian Kelleher again and I can see what he can do. Stasi acts the type of guy who might be able to test his grappling, which makes it a little extra exciting. But mostly I'm just excited because I want to see Kelleher fight in this one. Other fighters or fights fans might want to go out of their way to watch. Are you excited for another Artem Lobov bout? <laughs> I'm not terribly excited for Artem Lobov throwing down again with Andre Touchy-Feely. Although I do like Touchy-Feely. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Aspen Ladd. She's making her debut uh, at 135. Uh, she's earlier on the card. And, and if you don't enjoy watching Sam Alvey fight, you can go fuck yourself because he is legitimately some of the most fun one-touch knockout power I've ever seen. All right. Well said. Well, Gumby, we want to debut a new segment on the show now. Uh, you had a chance to catch up with James Lynch of Flow Combat. He is another MMA nerd such as yourself, knows a shit ton about prospects, and what we want to do in this segment is kind of go around town and introduce people to fighters outside the UFC bubble. Every week we're going to do this. We're going to debut the top three fighters from the weekend outside the UFC bubble, fighters whose names you're going to want to remember, fighters you're going to want to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, we hope you enjoy this and, and kind of just get to know those fighters on the rise. Do you think I, I described that well, Gumby? Yeah, you absolutely described it really well. And I, I think the, the most awesome thing about being able to do this with James to kick it off is that he is just so knowledgeable about those prospects. I mean, I, I felt like he was kind of out-talking me as far as prospects go. And you know I'm kind of like your resident prospect nerd. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope everybody enjoys this as much as we had uh, fun taping it. All right, we're going to change gears next. Dave and I are really excited to bring you this brand new segment this week. Uh, this segment is going to be called The Future Fight Stars of the Week, and it's going to bring you top talent from some of the smaller promotions that you might not have your eye on that you should probably keep an eye on. Uh, each week, we'll count down three guys and gals who won the past week and who improved their stock the most. And if you'd like to suggest an upcoming fighter for the week, tweet at us at TopTurtleMMA and use hashtag FlowFFS for future fight star so that's flow f-l-o-f-f-s uh and this week to kick off the future fight stars segment uh we have a special guest you might know him from his thousands of exclusive interviews his work on mma odds breaker or his definitive prospect rankings on flow combat he is the undisputed king of the prospects mr james lynch james thank you so much for joining us and since you're the guest today why don't you kick us off with number three this week uh, perfect. But first off, just uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm a big fan, and it's uh, great to be on here and talk some fights with you guys. But let's first start with uh, the guy I think that made a big statement this week, um, this weekend, I should say, and that is a uh, Yoni Sherbatov. Now, if you go on Flow of Combat right now, you'll see Sherbatov is our number six ranked flyweight. But he certainly made a case to crack the top five, getting a unanimous decision win uh, this Saturday over Zach Makovsky, uh, the former Bellator champion and, of course, the UFC uh, veteran. And uh, he defeated him by unanimous decision in the main event of ACB uh, seven. 
72, which took place uh, in Montreal, actually about five hours away from where I'm from. And uh, just again, a fight that you know was a tough matchup for Yoni. I mean, he's he's remained undefeated in his career. You might remember that name as he fought on the Ultimate Fighter, and he was ousted uh, quite early. Uh, but he's since regrouped and uh, racked off a couple impressive wins. And this one over Makovsky, to me, is the one that should solidify him uh, very close to getting a UFC contract. Because again, Zach Makovsky, no slouch. Yeah, Zach Mikowski is a hell of a guy there, too. And, and you're right. He was on the ultimate season of season 24, right, the flyweight. And if I'm not mistaken, he was ranked number two. So he went in pretty highly touted going in uh, and was ousted by Eric Shelton, which certainly there, there's no shame in that. So even being such a such a big name going in uh, and getting kind of ousted sort of quick, it was, it was kind of crazy that he never got a UFC shot and all of that. Yeah, a lot of those flyweights didn't. There was a few that did end up getting uh, called back, you know, like Matt Schnell, for example, Shelton, who you just mentioned. But uh, I guess they were sort of, uh, it didn't seem like they were too focused on the flyweight division. And unfortunately, Yoni was one of those casualties. But I mean, ever since then, you know, he's uh, he, he went to a draw with Tyson Nam, but we've seen how well Tyson Nam's been, uh, you know, tearing things up overseas. And of course, Martin Sandoval, he got a 44-second knockout uh, against him uh, before the Makovsky fight. So this guy, I don't know what he has to do to, to get a UFC contract. But again, taking out a vet in Zach Makovsky, very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kick it off to number two. Number two is going to be Jack Shore. He fl- 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 excuse me. He's a featherweight fighter out of Wales, and he won this past weekend at Cage Warriors 87 to bring him to a perfect 6-0. and He's also an 11-0 amateur before that. He's always been a good prospect for me, uh, but this is the first time I've ever seen him be forced into the third round. Uh, you know, he was previously he was finishing guys in the first and second round got a hell of a ground game he mixes his ground game in with his striking his striking sets everything up and this time he finishes with a K- uh, ko knee in the clinch uh and he's got hell of a power with his right left and with all of his fucking legs yeah, uh, certainly a, a guy you got to keep an eye on for sure uh, overseas. Uh, there, there's really uh, Cage Warriors, you know, continues to produce really high level talent, and uh, you know there, there's a lot of guys in the UFC right now that are Cage Warriors alum. So it's good to see that that prospect pool is still uh, full as far as uh, some of the up and comers. Yeah, and they've got a, a card coming up next weekend too that's got a couple of uh, really good names on it as well that I'm excited about. Yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, and the nice thing about uh, Cage Warriors as well is you know it's accessible. We can watch it. It's it's not like it's uh, you know blacked out or anything. So it, it is pretty easy to kind of tune in and check these prospects out uh, over in the UK. Yeah, always a bonus. All right, why don't you kick us off with uh, number one here on our very first flow FFS. Uh, I got to go with Tanner Bozer. And of course, if you look over on Flow Combat right now, Tanner Bozer is our number three heavyweight prospect, but he certainly made a good case for moving up to either that number two spot or probably not that number one because the number one guy's undefeated. But uh, he's, he's coming off a big win over Dave Cryer on that same ACB 72 card in uh, in Montreal. Guys, if you haven't seen the knockout, go Google Tanner Bozer ACB 72. It was an impressive win. Uh, just a nice combination that he where he really knocked the guy out. And Dave Cryer is no slouch. This guy who fought in Bellator. Uh, he's had the uh, 11 and uh, three record heading into this one so Bozer getting a big win in this and uh, the thing I like about Bozer as well is he's a young guy I mean we're talking about a 26 year old uh, fighter he improved to 13 and 4 so this is someone we need to be keeping an eye on he's got the four losses but if you look at a couple of those uh, at least two of them I know for a fact were overseas short notice fights that's a tough situation for anyone from a guy all the way out in Canada having to fly down to Russia and take a last minute fight so I think Bozer's a guy that we need to still be keeping our eye on especially with in heavyweight where the prospect pool isn't exactly that deep so uh, Bozer's a guy to, to keep your eye out for sure and it's not even just the prospects that's not deep either if you just look at the actual UFC rankings right yeah, now that's true I mean number number 12 Travis is, Brown's still on there yeah you know? Travis Brown Andre Arlovsky these guys are still ranked Junior Albini who's only fought once in the UFC and has a knockout win over Tim Johnson and that was enough 
enough to get them to like 13 or something like that. So, I mean, like, they're thin already. And on top of that, I, I'm not sure there's a guy ranked who's under 30. You mentioned he's only 26. And, and I think Tanner Bolser is, is just a perfect example of the kind of guy the UFC should get behind in order to make that division a little deeper. For sure. And actually, if you look on our list, what I, what I kind of uh, you know prioritized was sort of the age factor that you just mentioned there. Our number one guy right now, Adam Daiska, he competes for TKO up here in Canada. He's 26 years old. He's got a 6-0 record. He's actually one of the few guys on this list uh, who does have an undefeated record on here. But uh, it's it's tough because you look at some of these names. They're guys that are you know pushing 30. So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's few and far between. And I'll just mention quickly, since we're on the topic, uh, for heavyweights, um, uh, Muhammad Usman, who's Kamaru Usman's brother, is actually competing uh, fairly soon for Tachi Palace fights. He's got a 2-0 record and he's 28 years old. He's someone as well we could see uh, you know, making that jump to the UFC rather soon, not just for this last name, but he's, he's a very impressive fighter as well. Uh, you know, so, so someone to obviously keep your eye on as well as far as heavyweight prospects go. Awesome. And that may be uh, somebody we see on a future segment of Future Fight Stars of the Week. So, uh, James, once again, we thank you so much. And remember that if you have a prospect out there you think deserves being highlighted after a win in this upcoming week, tweet at us at TopTurtleMMA using hashtag FlowFFS. That's hashtag F-L-O-F-F-S. There you have it. That's the segment Future Fight Stars, and you can hashtag that at FlowFFS if you've got a suggestion for us for future weeks. Uh, And, of course, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, that's at MMA. We hope you enjoyed the show. Catch you next week.